0: well hello everybody and welcome back to the smart money gal podcast i am really excited about today's show i was recently introduced to an incredible woman who has an amazing story and um, i wanted to tell you really what connected us uh, for those of you that know me and know what I do, I have worked pretty much exclusively with women for going on 17 years now, which makes me feel really old. But um, it's been just a blessing, and I have, you know, the amazing opportunity every day to to meet women, whether or not they're sharing their story or they come to me as a client or a coaching client. It's just a really great experience because I feel like I get to participate in their journey. So uh, a friend of mine, Sally, who I'm sure is probably watching, uh, introduced me to Jen, and I knew amazingly, instantly she was incredible because her name was Jennifer as well. So uh, we hit it off really well, but you know, she is, her story is one that I really hope you listen to and that you can kind of just feel her strength and what she went through. She's a, she's a young widow and mom. Um, She went through her own period of time of despair when she lost her husband. And But you know what? She got to a point where she knew that there was so much more out there for her in life, that there were things that she wanted to do for her children, for herself, things that she knew that her husband would have wanted her to continue on and do. So, as I get to help widows, you know, as part of my business, financially pick up the pieces, um, Jen has really taken her own incredible story and made it something that she can really do to help other widows and widowers as they're going through the same situation. So I am super excited to have Jen with me uh, today. And um, if we could bring her on, here she is. Hey, Jen, how are you? Hey, thanks so much for having me on. This is this is exciting. This is fun for me. <laughs> well, you know, I-, I am so excited that you're here because, you know, we have talked a couple times now and I really am a firm believer in the fact that when we go through something like losing a spouse, I've never experienced that. I have worked with people who have, so I haven't had firsthand knowledge of that, but going through divorce or some other type of trauma, you do get to a point where you're like, you know what? I got to move on. There has to be a way where I can move on. And when we talked, I'm like, this is just somebody that I need to introduce to my community because you have found that ability to kind of pick up and move on didn't forget the life that you had or all that you shared. You did go through your own grieving, but you also have made this, you've taken kind of your your despair and are pouring yourself into other people who have been in that same situation. So I just needed to have you on. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate that. So I have some questions that, you know, uh, I want to ask you because I want people to be able to hear your story. So the very first one I have is how did you become a widow? <laughs>
1: Well, um, you think 2020 was bad? (laughs) 2014 was probably the worst year. And I mean, January to December, full year, like worst in my entire life. And let me give you some perspective. In January of 2014, I lost my job of seven years. And it was because my company had gone through a merger and they laid off a bunch of people and I was one of them. And I was in my second trimester of pregnancy with our third child. And so my husband and I at the time decided I wasn't going to go out and look for another job right away because what was the point? I'd no sooner get another job and I'd have to go on maternity leave. So we decided I would wait for our child to be born, which we didn't know was going to be a boy or girl yet. And, and then I would go out into the world again. And, and I was doing uh, corporate event planning at the time and Now, it's easy for me to see now, you know, when you get to a certain point in life and you look back at the kind of domino effect of how things kind of fell into place and and there was a reason for things to happen the way that they did, but you can't see it in the moment, right? Right. I'm in my second trimester of pregnancy and I'm falling apart at the seams because now I don't have an income um, and and I'm going through all the pregnancy hormones and life's just crap, right? Well, a few months later, my husband started coming home Um, from work in sheer exhaustion, like would pass out on the couch at six o'clock at night and not wake up until he had to go to to work the next morning. And I couldn't understand what was going on. And then he started spiking really, really high fevers, like 103, 104, like really high. And it it wasn't anything like regular doctors could diagnose. Nobody could figure out what was going on. So here I am now eight months pregnant I have a two-year-old and a three-year-old and one on the way and I am wheeling my husband into an ER. Like, h- help him. Our third child is going to be born any day now. Like, please figure out what's going on with him. And I remember it was in July, so it's like we were in the desert. It was 110 degrees, 115 degrees, and he's got a hoodie on. Like, Oh my gosh. Because he was just so like, the fevers, we had no idea what they were from. He ended up being admitted to the hospital for fevers of unknown origin. And he was there for three weeks. They ran hundreds of tests, hundreds. Could not figure out what was causing the fevers. They had him on blocks of ice, like bags of ice, just to bring down the fever because nothing was helping. And about 24 hours before I was going to deliver our third child, he was escorted by ambulance to the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona for an elevated level of care and it was about nine days after the birth of our third child that he was diagnosed as having a very rare form of lymphoma it was non-hodgkin's t-cell lymphoma i think like three percent of the world gets this particular blood cancer
0: my goodness so
1: he ended up spending the rest of his days at the, Scott, the, the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale. So I ended up moving my entire family up to a rental house about 10 minutes outside of the hospital so that I could visit with him while he received chemo treatments. Um, he ended up going through a stem cell transplant. Um, it, we, we joked about it because it was supposed to be his like rebirth. He was gonna have all new you know, cells inside of him and he was uh, the donor was from Europe. So uh, we were joking that he would have a European accent when this was all <laughs> done. Um, And then about two weeks after the stem cell transplant, which was supposed to cure him, the doctors called me and said, we just did another bone marrow biopsy and the lymphoma is still there. Mm. And I thought, well, what's that mean? Like, what does that mean? Like, tell me what that means. You know, like, talk to me like I'm in kindergarten. And they said, well, the stem cell transplant did not work. So we have to go back to chemo treatments. Mm -hmm. And it was another two weeks later that they, uh, I got another call and they basically said, we can try one last chemo treatment, which would potentially wipe out his kidneys or we stop altogether. Why don't you come to the hospital so that we can make this decision? And I remember driving, I, I basically took my children and dropped them off with a neighbor that I didn't know. And they were, uh, like three, my youngest was probably three months old, three or four months old. Then I had a two-year-old and a three-year-old dropped my three children off with strangers for me. Ri- and then I'm driving to the hospital, which is 10 minutes away. And the whole drive there, I'm thinking, I don't want to decide if my husband gets to live or die. Right. Why is that on me? Like, I don't want to have to make this decision. And Right. I remember getting to the hospital and riding the the, um, the elevator up to his floor. And it was like, Jennifer, it was like a scene out of a movie. You ever, like, feel like you're so in your own head that everything going on outside of you almost sounds muffled? Like, muffled, like his room was at the end of the hallway when the, the doors opened f- from this elevator. And I stepped out, and I could see... People I knew and doctors at the end of the hallway, standing outside his room, and I felt like the seas were parting, right? I'm walking down this long hallway to make a decision I don't want to make to potentially lose my life partner, right? And then I went into the room and my husband had this, all I can describe it as, it was like a look of resignation, like, I tried, babe the words that came out of his mouth and in that moment i knew that he had been through so much pain himself that he was deciding for us and that was it like i mean we both cried we before <laughs> and then because you, you deal with finances we i got all his his you know bank account passwords and stuff i'm like things that you just don't even ever think you're gonna have to do we had converse like he then went to hospice for two days and Most of the time he was unconscious, but for the first, you know, hour or so that he was in hospice, I was having conversations with him about, you know, where do you want to be buried? Like he's, he was 35. Our baby was not even four months old. Our oldest was only three. And here I am asking the love of my life. Where do you want to be buried? Because hours from now, you're not going to be here anymore. That was like, the hardest thing I've ever, ever had to do. Second hardest thing I've had to do was go back to the rental house and pull my three-year-old onto my lap and tell him that daddy wasn't coming home. And sorry. And I just remember him saying, you mean, cause he was three. So, okay. He's not coming home so we can call him. Right. Like, yeah. no we can't call him either and so it's just it, from there that's how I became a widow so um it was all in the span of I mean I lost my job January of 2014 while I was you know in my second month of our second trimester of pregnancy by December 14th of that same year I lost my husband so and so I was left to raise uh gosh, my baby was three or four months old and a a two-year-old and a a three-year-old on my own. And so talk about fear, fear, uncertainty. Uh, I think, you know, when you talk to um, widows yourself, that whole, my world has been upended. I'd never imagined I'd be in my mid thirties having to reinvent my life from scratch. But now I'm doing it with, three little kids all under the age of four in tow. And now I've got these three pairs of eyes watching my every move. So how I handle my grief is one thing, how I help them handle their own is another, and how the hell, how I come out of this will be quite a story to tell. Because at the time, I had no idea how to even put one foot in front of the other.
0: You know, and and I can only like, imagine like I'm thinking you know when I was getting ready for this podcast I'm like should I put mascara on at all today (laughs) because I know she's going to start really opening up and it's just going to be but you think about that you know I mean and and a lot of people that I work with don't get that they don't as hard as it was for you they don't get the I know he's not going to be here I can have the conversations I can start making my list of things you know they don't have that do you think that 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 sense of closure to a certain extent, where you were both making these decisions together on how it was going to be without him here. Do you think that that helped in any way, or do you think it would it, it would have been because like if he would have been taking from you instantly without having those conversations and making those decisions, do you think that would have been harder or easier?
1: It's so that's I mean I coach clients who were blindsided by the death of their husband or wife. I, and I've coached people who have, you know, followed a cancer journey for years. Right. And it's hard, no matter what it's hard because with me, I had, I had all my hope riding on the stem cell transplant, Right. 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 Riding that this wasn't going to be our life because I mean, we, we were, minutes after the stem cell transplant, I mean, my husband was watching HGTV in his hospital room, like, redesigning our house. And because, you know, like, we were gonna come out of this and we were gonna never take life for granted again. But then it's like, in the minutes, in, in the last night that I had with him, I didn't really fully understand that I only had hours left with him. Right. And so... I did have a, I mean, I did have a little bit of closure, but it was still hard because it wasn't like he, he, he had any strength left to say, go forth and do this. And, and by the way, that minivan, the Sienna, the Toyota Sienna, that's the one you should buy. Right, Right. 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 And even those who just like follow a cancer journey and know the end is coming. I, I mean, even, even though I know like so many widows who, made sure that the last six months or the last you know, year was the best for their spouse. Right. They went to Disney world. They went, you know, went bungee jumping or they went and they did things right. They lived like it. they were, the days were numbered. Right. It didn't make the fact that they were then gone. Right. Any easier, and easier. Right? right. Because you live your life a certain way. You have these, these expectations, this, this vision for your future that includes somebody else. So even all the decisions, and if you have a family, even the decisions you make with your about your kids, you have somebody else to talk to about them. Right. right. And now when your world's appended because that person is no longer part of your life and you have to make all these decisions on your own, you have to re reimagine a future because it no longer involves the person you thought was going to be around forever, that's hard. It's hard no matter the situation, whether it was immediate or in sudden or whether you knew it was coming.
0: Yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't imagine what you went through, you know, and, and, in all that you went through, how did you get from that point of despair to finding, you know, value in moving forward and finding joy and being able to be present and there for your kids? Like, how did you get from despair to the gen that I've I yeah, know. I know now, and that your clients know now, right. If
1: you had met me six years ago, you'd be seeing a different person. So I would say that the first year, I was in full-on survival mode. I was, you know, I went back to work. I had a, a family to support. I went back to work. I, plus, I needed to keep my mind busy. I was now responsible for all upkeep of the house, all chores, everything, cooking, cleaning, everything, parenting my my children. Everything was all on me, so you think about everything that most couples divvy up, right? Right. squarely on one shoulder, and so, literally, I was just trying to survive. Like, make it through the day, and if you made it through the day in one piece, that's a check, win, right? And so, but, and I think I genuinely feared that life would always look and feel that way. That first year was really hard for me, and because I went back into event planning, I still had to execute my events. So there were times when I'd have to leave for two days and I'd get somebody to watch the kids and I'd go off and, and execute an event in a different state. And I remember being in an airport uh, with all the freedom that an airport provides. And I was <laughs> by myself, it's like a mom's dream, right? I'm people watching all the stuff. And for, you know, for that, it's almost like you can pretend you're somebody else in an airport, right? You, you right the baggage of life behind you going somewhere else. Like you can just be somebody else for a little while. And I remember, you know how they have like the, the newsstands, the, mm-hmm. like the bookstore the, the books. Yeah. Uh-huh. I remember going over to one of the book stands. This is probably about a year out, um, from my, from losing my husband. And the, I was drawn to a book called proof of heaven. Have you ever heard of it or, or read it? I only heard of it when you and I talked about it last time. Okay. Yeah. It's by even Alexander. He's a neurosurgeon and I cannot remember for the life of me what happened to cause him to go into a coma, but he went into a coma for seven days and the part of your brain that is responsible for all thought and emotion was completely shut down. And when he comes out of this coma and tells the story of what happened to him during in that coma, it's just, and it's a real story. It's a true story. And It was just so fascinating to me. And this particular book did not help me per se, but it opened my eyes to believing that something bigger than me was happening here and that I had a reason for still being here. And my reason wasn't to put one foot in front of the other and survive this life to the end of my days. That was not it. And so it kind of launched me on this, the self-development journey of sorts, because I got really into like mindfulness and metaphysics and and all kinds of things. Like I started reading everything I could by like, you know, Deepak Chopra and uh, Eckhart Tolle and Rhonda Byrne and Wayne Dyer and Mike Dooley and and even like coaches like Tony Robbins and Napoleon Hill. I I went, I mean, thousands of dollars over the course of four to five years on (laughs) books, audio CDs, seminars. And it was because I finally got to this point in life where I felt, I can either survive the rest of my days or live them fully. And my husband would have wanted me to do the latter. Not only that, not only for my own peace and happiness, but for my kids benefit too, because I am now their only example of what the human spirit is capable of. And so I am with them 24 seven, except for when they're at school. And at the time they were little, so they weren't even in school. And so I was with them whenever I wasn't. <laughs> and so I knew that to be a better mom for them, I needed to feel better. So I started grasping at anything that was going to make me feel better and help me reimagine this future of mine because I didn't want to live in fear anymore. I didn't want to live in a place of uncertainty anymore. I didn't want to feel so alone. I didn't want to feel all this self-doubt that I was carrying with me, all like, I like lost my confidence in my ability to make decisions when I was a rock star up until then, right? And so I was like, why all of a sudden does, does something happen in your world, something traumatizing and you lose everything about yourself. It's like, you have to find yourself all over again and who you are as a, a person of one instead of a person of two. And so I went on this journey for about four to five years. And I mean, Jennifer, I I read so many different tools and techniques and strategies about how to feel better and how to reclaim your life. And I tried them all, like all of them. I tried them all. And I just, I started tossing what didn't work for me. And then I just kept what did. And over time, that's what got me to the good place that I'm in today. But it took me years to do it. I didn't have like, I didn't have somebody like me guiding me through it right? I was figuring it out on my own as I went. And in the process of doing that, I pulled my kids along with me. So they don't know the techniques or the tools or, or the strategies that I've used, but the energy that I have now about life rubbed off on them. And now they're all thriving. So
0: yeah, we've been on that. We've been on the phone when they've come in from school. So they're they're thriving. They're very energetic. <laughs> they're, they're great. And and I think that's another reason why we connected so well, because I had to become who I needed, yes. you know, for my clients and for the people that I coach and, and whose lives I help. I had to be the me that I needed. Mm-hmm. Just like you have become the you for your clients and for the people whose lives you get to touch because there wasn't one, there wasn't somebody. So in as you've been going through, you went through your journey, was there, what didn't work? Now, I know you talked about some of the, the techniques and some of the things you put aside, but if, was there one I know for me, as I experienced stuff in life, there was that one real moment where I was like, this is, I know now I have got to just move forward. This is no longer what my life is going to look like. Mm -hmm. So everything that did work for you, what really didn't work for you to get you to this point?
1: Now I'm going to tell you what didn't work for me, but it does work for other people. So I'm Mm -hmm. not counting it in any way whatsoever. Grief counseling, grief counseling. I went to three different grief counselors. The first one told me it was good to have feelings. I was like, am I paying you for this? I hope I'm not paying you for this. Does my insurance cover this entirely? Because this is crap. The second one literally handed me a piece of paper with the five stages of grief on it. I'm like, thanks, could have ripped that off the internet. Why am I here? Like, why am I here? I mean, all three really uh, helped me tell my story over and over and over again and in the process of telling you a story that's almost therapeutic and healing in its own way but none of them gave me the strategies that i needed to actually move forward and do something with my life right they allowed me to sit in my feelings and to feel it so that i could let them go but they didn't help me move forward does that make sense oh
0: yeah okay. that makes that makes tremendous sense i think that's why we both do what we do because yeah. it's easy it's it's easy to to sit around and talk to other people about feelings. There are stages that you have to go through, whether it's divorce or abuse or loss of a husband or a spouse, or there are stages you need to go through. It's easy for people to tell you about those stages. Oh yeah. But it is not easy for some people to move forward, you know. So the fact that you've been able to help people move forward, you know, is is just amazing. Now, what what made you decide to, you know what, I'm gonna make this. I'm going to make this kind of what I do now. I'm going to make a business and help widows and widowers really reclaim their life and reclaim their power in being able to enjoy this life.
1: Um, When I finally got to this really good place that I'm in, I thought back to 2014, even really, really 2015, right? And what resources I had as a new widow. And I remember back in 2015, there weren't the support groups that you see on Facebook for young widows. There weren't any kind of books out there about young widows or widowers surviving their loss and finding joy in life again. And and that's what I really wanted. Like I scoured the internet for these things because I wanted to hear someone else's story. I wanted to to know that there was hope for me too. Right. Right. And I also wanted a how-to guide. Like, okay, so you did it, but how'd you do it? Like, give me the step-by-step instructions on how to come through this mess because I really felt in a bad place. And so when I did come out the other side, I thought back to 2015 and how there was so little available for people like me. And that's when I decided to create the Facebook group Widows and Widowers Seeking Happiness. And I did it on the side. So I was still planning events. I was... I was a corporate event planner for 20 years, but I did it on the side. And I'm in there still to this day, every day, putting encouraging words and tips and, and advice. And um, it's now, gosh, it's grown a lot over the last year or so. But I also like I I wanted to be able to do more for this community, but again, I was working. And then the coronavirus ended my career completely. <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> and an event planner. Nobody's calling you right now for things. <laughs> so the coronavirus. So again, I was doing it as my side, a thing, uh-huh. a hobby of mine. And then when the coronavirus ended my career, I thought, okay, I get it. This is my purpose now, right? And so, right. <laughs> but that's when I decided to put like all of my 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 effort into helping the widowhood community. And so. It started off as a, as a Facebook group, and then I decided to create a course based on, you know, everything that worked for me over those four to five years. I basically c- condensed it down into like this this easily digestible course that young widows and widowers can take to kind of learn the same techniques and the strategies and the practices that I still use today to stay in this good place. And then on top of that, I I ended up launching the coaching part of my business because how often have you ever, or how often have you taken a course in your life with, and had all these like super good intentions, right? Like, oh my gosh, it's totally going to transform my work or my personal life, my relationships. Oh, after this course, like I, I'm going to be a force to be reckoned with. Right. And then you like, you, you finish the course, you go back to, to daily practice. <laughs> and you're like, you, it's all good intentions. You know, they on, Right. You don't even implement one thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, what I didn't want to happen is have these these young widows and widowers go through the course and then go back to doing everything that they were doing before the course, which is not going to help you do anything, right? It's not going to help you close the gap from where you are to where you want to be, that's for sure. It's going to keep you stuck right here. And so to get here, I launched a coaching program to keep people accountable for doing everything that they learned in the course. So I actually practiced the techniques with them and to help them apply the tools to their own life and then keep them accountable for you know months so that it sticks with them and that it becomes a way of life for them and not something they once learned, right? And that's huge. I mean, the, the account,
0: it's like you said, I've been in those seminars where you're in there and you're like Tony so, Robbins and you're jumping up the dam and you're like, man, this is just so great, I got my books. And then you get in the car, you get on the flight and you're like, back to life, you know? It's just. Here I'm gonna get to him. I'm gonna get to him. I'm getting to him. It is. It's all about implementation, accountability. You know, because if it, you and my, we we intertwine what we do in the coaching space, because I think it's you can only be as motivated for somebody as they are for themselves.
1: Absolutely. And
0: you know what? It's like going back to the whole grief piece. No matter what trauma you've experienced, it takes time. You and I are not coming and telling somebody you have to do it in this piece of time you're helping them you're you're there for them and you're you're here to kind of coach them forward but then you and i have talked about the fact i don't like the victim mentality
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know and and you've experienced things i've experienced things the victim mentality doesn't work for me at all and i think a lot of people get stuck in that
1: mm-hmm. and until
0: they're re- ready and able to move forward if they don't know people like you and like me exist and are out here they're gonna just stay with that group of people who just are stuck, and it's sad because this life has so much. I mean, so much to offer. As quickly as as you lost your husband, as quickly as COVID has affected so many people's lives, you have to live each day to the fullest. You okay. really do. And what you're doing is just is just wonderful. And and you know, if people want to get in touch with you, part of the reason of me having you here it was like I wanted everybody to know that you existed. Um, how do they get a hold of you? What's the best way for them to, to reach out to you?
1: You can easily find me on Facebook, either under Jen Santanello or my business, which is young, widowed and thriving. Um, or just reach out via email because, uh, you know, if you want information about coaching and you don't have to go through my course to get coaching, I, I coach people who have not been through my course at all. Um, and that's Jen at jensantinello.com. Could
0: you spell your last name?
1: Yes. It's Jen, J E N S A N. T A N I E L L O.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Well, you know, I can't begin to thank you enough for coming on and talking because I think it's just so important. You know, now that everybody is kind of stuck in this new normal, I think they were saying like 98% of people now are finding coaches, are finding ways to change their life, to modify things. They're doing all that they need to do online, everything. Yep. You know, so I'm going to be able to have this podcast up. You can share it. It'll be someplace stationary so people can find out about you. If you're listening and you forget how Jen spelled her name or how she pronounced it or whatever, because I had to find out how to pronounce it, you can always reach out to me too um, through the, the Smart Money Gal page and through the website. But, you know, I just, I'm I'm very blessed to know you and that Sally introduced us. I think that you what you're doing is extraordinary to literally take what you've been through and really make it a triumph in your life and other people. So thank you so much for spending time with me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, and we will be back next month. I'm not sure what I'm talking about yet, but we will be back next month again. And please, please reach out to Jen. If there's anything I can do from the financial side of things, if you've recently lost a spouse or or if you're planning things um, around, you know, someone who is sick or, or just in general. If you're looking as a couple who needs to have their financial life stress tested, that's what I'm here to do. So we look forward to talking to you again next month. And thank you again to my very special guests. Jennifer. So everybody have a wonderful day. Make sure whatever it is that you're doing is fantastic and please live an empowered life. That's what we're here to help you do. Thank you.